<laughs> Welcome to UP Tech Talk. We're here in the studio today with Eric Engtel, one of our favorite guests. And my co-host, Stephen Lutzenheiser, is joining me today as well. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Maria. Hi, Hi Eric. Eric. Hi, guys. Today, we have Eric with us to talk about his upcoming UP Crossroads talk, which hopefully will join us for live on February 15th at 3 p.m. in the Digital Lab. Eric also has a surprise topic for us today, and so we'll be uh, exploring that together. Eric, give our audience a teaser for what you'll be talking about in a few, uh, actually in a week, for UP Crossroads. Well, thanks for having me here. It's great to see you both. Um, I really want to explore the uh, what I think could be the beginning of a cultural shift in how we think about our relationship to social media the more and more we learn how insidious they are about exploiting our private lives and um, what are college students' attitudes about that and how are younger people thinking about their relationship to their own media and surveillance and privacy and a whole host of issues around um, what it means to be kind of living in a digital life. So I'm going to bring some things to the talk that extend that conversation and help us begin to to explore if there is really maybe going to be some kind of cultural shift around around people and their relationship to, to these big companies. What do you feel are some of the leading indicators that have you suspicious that we're in the middle of some sort of shift? Um, it's just kind of a feeling I get. You know, I've been working with college students on and off since around 2000. And so I started teaching in higher education in 2000, and that was back in the Friendster day. And that was just shortly after Napster came out. And um, we just didn't have social networking the way that we have it today. And over the last, I started showing a, a film in one of my classes called Growing Up Online that was a PBS documentary that covered um, some students as they were graduating from high school. And it was kind of a year in their life of, of in their relationship to social media. And it tackled things like um, cyberbullying, but it also tackled things like parties that were broadcast online live um, and the, kind of the fallout from some of those things and really just exploring this kind of new way of, of living a digital life, largely online. And that was back in 2008. And over about the last 10 or 11 years, I've just, I've seen students more and more use smartphones and use social media. But lately, I feel like there's been, in, in five or six years ago, people just didn't really question it. Like it was just a given that you would use social media um, and be on places like Facebook or eventually migrate to Instagram or whatever. But I feel like there's been a shift lately. I can just feel it in my classrooms and in the conversations I'm having with students that there's this, unse- there's this unsettled feeling that things are mysterious and dark in places. And we don't really know what the companies are doing with us. And... Um, I just feel this shift occurring, and I can feel it in the way that students talk about their relationship to their social media. There's this guardedness that didn't used to be there, and it's just really interesting to me. Well, one thing I'm thinking of is I'm just wondering if we're just seeing a replay of kind of earlier forms of this, like in the Manchurian Candidate, for example, or just the early uh, films that would have the Coca-Cola advertisements stuck in the middle of them mm-hmm. really quickly. You know, I just feel like that's kind of playing out again and people, you know, weren't aware of those things at the beginning when they happened and then they became aware of them and so there was more public 
you know, kind of outcry about it and maybe a shift in what uh, filmmakers were doing or, you know, advertisers were doing and so forth. I kind of feel like maybe that's what's happening, a little bit more lights being shed on what's actually going on and maybe people aren't going to be comfortable with it and maybe some things will change. So um, I think you could be right, and I don't know if things are going to change or not, but I feel like there's just a different temperature of the water now. And so um, last year, I remember I was teaching the same class I'm teaching now, which is a technology and education class. And some students, we were talking about surveillance, and some students were talking about things that had percolated into the news about um, were social media companies, largely Facebook, were they opening up your mic on your phone and eavesdropping on phone conversations you were having because people reported that they were having these experiences where advertising would pop up that was relevant to their conversations they were having, but hadn't. But there was no evidence of anything in their social feeds to indicate that this ad should have popped up. And people were really paranoid. And I used, I was really dismissive last year. I just said, I just don't think that's happening. Like that just doesn't sound, like I, do, I just don't, I feel like that, and maybe it was naive, but I was, I gave the benefit of the doubt to Facebook more because I was thinking that's just such an intrusion. Like would you really violate you that trust relationship with, your users by eavesdropping on them like that. Now, you know, something like an Amazon Echo, you you know what you're consenting to in that. You know, it's going to be listening for those words and companies like Apple assure you that they're only listening for the cue, uh, for you to cue like, hey Siri, for it to come on. But I felt like Facebook, like really what would be there? I, I just gave them the benefit of the doubt. And then when that news broke a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, about Facebook compensating people with $20 gift cards to have full access to their phones, the conversation came up again in my class. And I had many students saying, no, I know my phone's listening to me. And there was a level of paranoia there that I just haven't experienced in any of my time working with students around these issues. And I wonder if that is somehow a symbol of it or it's a shift in some way. That's kind of what I was thinking about. Well, that happens to me all the time, and I'm only using Google, and I see things show up, ads and search words and things that I know I've only spoken and not typed in. Does, does that happen to you, too? Yeah, it does happen to me sometimes. You know, I, I like to go into my Google ad settings or my Facebook ad settings every now and then, see what they've kind of picked up on me. And I, uh, I think it's really interesting that uh, as it becomes a more known quantity that we are in some ways being, you know, in many ways being watched and calculated and gathered information on, they're making it known to us that they know and kind of shedding light and creating that uncomfortable feeling. But it's interesting uh, about the Facebook compensating people for it. That kind of sets a strange precedent where they are now directly paying you for your information as opposed to just paying you through allowing you to use their service for free uh, how do you think do you think that might continue to expand as they try to damage control or affect our future for giving up of information I um, I don't know I think the thing that it, it's an interesting economic model that you would just pay somebody for that. But we've been paying, it's an interesting economic, economic model because you don't know how much what they're taking from you, how valuable that really is. Like, is $20 a good deal? Maybe it should be $1,000. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But the um, the what bothered me about that story, and I think the reason it really it really rose up um, on, 
on people's radars is because the some of the users were like 13 years old and they were getting these $20 gift cards and they just weren't thinking. I mean, I don't know what the 13-year-old was thinking. They were probably just thinking, well, you have access to my stuff anyway. What does it really matter? And which is a really sad potential reality that they do have access to those things. I think one of the things that that makes me feel worried about this trend is that we are starting to learn more and more how monetized we all are and how it's inescapable. And then so we reach that tipping point where do we just accept it for what it is? Like, I can't get out of this abusive relationship anyway. I might as well just, like, not resist so that the blows don't come so hard, which is a crazy way of thinking about a relationship. We don't have that relationship with Nike. You know, it's it's like you just buy their sneakers and you wear them out and it's fun and that's it. And like, but this is a really different kind of relationship, probably unlike anything that we've really had before where you have these long standing ties to a company and and they have so much access to kind of who you are and what you do. They, it's And it's really unsettling. And then just even hearing you talk a minute ago, Stephen, about they know this and they know that just feels so Orwellian and so big brothery. And I mean, these are hardly new themes, but I just feel unsettled in general in a way today, in a way that I haven't felt before. And that's telling me something. Yeah, I think there's going to be a a kind of an emergent uh, trend for privacy tools, you know, and I mean, apart from just browsing in incognito mode, which gives you some protections, but not others. I mean, just the other day when I was trying to book a flight, you know, to Albuquerque, and I'm like, why did the price just jump $40 in five minutes, you know? Um, like, what do I have to do? Delete my browsing history, use a different browser, use DuckDuckGo, browse it. You know, I'm just going through the list of what can I possibly do to avoid this kind of thing from happening. And I feel like there's going to be more tools available for us to kind of have more control over things that we used to have control over. Yeah, and, and dynamic pricing in general, again, feels, I, I don't know, it, it feels uncomfortable. Like, I, I was booking, it's so interesting you mentioned that because I'm traveling um, in a couple of weeks, and I needed to get a hotel, and so the and for for the with the un, traveling for the university, so I was using my university credit card, and and um, when I went to purchase the ticket, it said there was an error, and then when I went back to purchase, or not, it wasn't a ticket; it was a re- reserving a room, but let's say the room was two hundred dollars, and then when and then it said there was an error at the very last like submit the purchase kind of thing, and then it came back, I went back and repeated the process, and suddenly the room was two eighty. And I thought, what do you is is there an error because you realize you undercharged me? Like I'm using a corporate credit card. Like, but I don't know. And just that I don't know makes me feel so uncomfortable about my relationship to even just like Hilton or whomever it was. And ah, it, in this, so dynamic pricing is one of those ones where it's like we know what you're willing to pay or able to pay, and so we'll just charge you more. And oh, I don't know. I don't like that. And and Uber operates that way when it comes to things like. You know, we they charge more when it takes longer, or <clears throat> there are a lot of examples of dynamic pricing models. But it's still when when it feels like it should have a fixed price, but it doesn't. That's where it makes me feel like I'm suddenly against them, the they. Yeah, that's interesting because there's kind of a difference in perception there because you know they are just trying to get as much money out of you as they can. <laughs> but uh, on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, you know, you, you put something in your Amazon card. I remember a few years ago, this kind of was a, a common tip or whatever. You put something in your online store cart and then you leave the site. And then a couple days later, you get an email saying, hey, here's 15% off. And now that's what you're willing to pay. And that's, 
that's a get for you. That's a get for me, you know, and I'm, I want to save some money on that. Uh, and that's a big difference in perception as opposed to them having the price at the start be, you know, 300 and then turn down to 280 versus having it lower and go higher. And I think that's just, um, does that reflect kind of a, a, uh, again, that new uh, status quo of we're trying to get as much as you out of possible and we don't care that you know we're trying to do that. Yeah, because we're hoping you just don't think about it. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's so many psychological, economical models at play that, you know, we just can't win when it, on the commerce side. And, and uh, one of the things that you were saying a minute ago reminded me of is when you have something in your cart for a while, like save for later, mm-hmm. and then it changes in price like a few cents. But that gives them an excuse to send you an email that says the thing in your, you know, thing went down, you, the price went down, and you think, oh, it did? did? Is it free now? And then you go, and it's like gone down a nickel exactly. a, a, and on something that costs $15. <laughs> so it's not, it's nothing. But it was still enough to trigger you to re-engage with and potentially then use that. And the more like you're more likely to engage and or purchase that product, the more like the more you are engaged with it. So you think, oh, you're just using really basic consumer economic modeling behavior against me and and now I have to suddenly put up, you know, a wall if I want to, or at least come up with some kind of defenses against that. Yeah, and I think that um that's kind of the spaces that we're going to be moving towards anyway. You know, that's sort of this sort of like necessary evil kind of thing. Like I've got to put up with certain things to to have the conveniences that I have decided are essential in my life. I think we're going to kind of be trotting that path for a while. And then also I think we'll see some contrarian waves come through too where it's cash only and it's, you know, kind of I won't want my uh, – or no credit cards anymore or whatever it's going to be. I think I think we'll see some of that too. Yeah, and I don't know if it's going to be – if that's just going to be fringe, the way that you sometimes yeah, see sort of fringe movements. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, but I – but my college students make me feel like it could be bigger than fringe. Mm. But then my fear, of course, is that the marketers are so good at this at these various companies that they'll just figure out where the – the mass is moving, and then they'll just try to accommodate that. Yeah, yeah, and so, so another an, an interesting thing, and um, that I've been talking to students about too, and has come up a couple of different times is um, feeling like you can't ever get lost or be on your own. So, like, so, uh, like, uh, hypothetically, you have a group of students who live together, and they have find my friends on their phones as a way of keeping an, of track of people. So your friend goes off to a party and you're worried about her and she doesn't come home, it's two in the morning, you can find out where she is mm-hmm. and you can just surveil her and try at least track her location. Um, and it's a good thing because maybe she was in harm's way. She needed someone to go over to that house and get her out of a situation that was bad. But at the same time, what if you just don't want to be tracked by your roommates all the time? You just want to be on your own. And I feel like there, I've been having conversations with students who have this tension between the, there's times I just don't want like anyone to know where I am. And that's an okay thing to want to be lost intentionally. And then I, I well, I, if I have 40 college students in a classroom, I can say, how many of you, how many of you have a parent who right now can tell you that they know where you are? And several hands will go up. And I'm not comfortable with that. Like personally, like I just feel like you should, as a college student, should just be able to like skip class or go to the beach for the day 
And if you want to sit behind the sip and save and smoke cigarettes with your friends, you know, I just feel like you should be able to go do that without your like dad knowing that you're behind the sip and save smoking cigarettes. And but there are college students that I've been having conversations with and other people, too. But it's interesting in this generation of students because they for safety's sake, they they keep an eye on each other with that, which is good. But at the same time, then you can't ever really get lost. And you don't always need people don't always need to know where you are. So it's an interesting one, too, to take on um, thinking about this, like you're being surveilled not only by Facebook and Google, but by your friends. Yeah. Um, so what else have you been thinking about? I mean, these are some really big themes and really big cultural shifts if they are really, in fact, happening. Um, anything else grabbing your attention? You know, my big fear about schools is that it's going to be a collision of three things that's going to change school from what it is now where you go to school to being at home. One will be that we um, have uh, materials that we can deliver, not like it is today, where you sit in front of a computer and listen to a Khan Academy video. Like that's, I don't see that. But I do see something that's much more engaging that technology brings to us so that you have a, a truly immersive experience. Yeah. That coupled with... Um, like an Amazon Echo kind of teacher nanny kind of thing where you have a smart home that's so smart that it keeps track of your kids for you so you can leave the house and that they're at, you know, it, it sounds kind of dystopian and kind of horrible if you if we really drill down on it, but this ability for there to be almost like a virtual teacher there. And then the other thing is, is, is um, guns. You know, I've had a couple of teachers over the last about year or so, and it's so interesting because both of them made these comments to me in different places and different times, but they were both high school teachers doing an active shooter drill, and they overheard students saying, when I have kids, I'm not sending them to school. It's too dangerous. Wow. And is school the place where you go to be in the target? And I think there are a lot of people, and if you, and you talk to people who work in schools, the active shooter drills, the trauma that these young little kids are experiencing who are, you know, in kindergarten or first grade because they're in a lockdown situation as a drill. And there's like, there's true trauma to that experience. At what point when we become able to deliver things at home, will we just pull away from schools? Because they're expensive to heat. Someone has to clean those washrooms. Someone has to manage the cafeteria. And at doctor's all offices those teachers. too. All the teachers. That yeah. We've been trying to make and schools teacher-proof forever yeah, anyway. Exactly. You know? Yeah, no, I definitely see that <clears throat> coming into play for sure. Yeah. So if there's places like these big industries that we didn't expect to, to that, were, that we've always kind of expected to be in place. When I say industries, I don't know if they're really industries as much as they're like social, whatever. What are they? They're kind of iconic institutions yeah. at this point. Like, know? yeah, schools, part hospitals, of, part of the background doctor's office. Fabric. Yeah. And mm -hmm. our grocery store relationships are really changing. You know, the ability yes. to, like, when you can just, you know, I mean, I was almost forced into using a self checkout at Fred Meyer the other day because the line to use a person yeah. checkout was so long right and I could not get this thing to scan and I thought I'm gonna have a heart attack it would be great if I was wearing my doctor now <laughs> because they could resuscitate me at the self-checkout because I was so frustrated and I thought no we just need to get to that place where you walk in load your basket and walk out like Amazon go exactly yeah. but but I feel badly for the checkers and sometimes you have really good conversations with those folks you know it's yeah. And th and there's a I mean I could we could talk for a little while about what I feel like we're going to lose when we lose those brief moments of human interaction, but I do see the efficiency of going in getting and then of course the groceries will just be delivered to your house in an autonomous autonomously driven vehicle and you'll just back in it'll back in and it'll leave a some t big huge plastic box of stuff and you'll just unload it and it'll you just go on with your day and yeah then, yeah 
and that'll be in 15 or 20 years in the same way that if you look back 15 or 20 years ago, it would be hard to believe that you'd be getting much more than books from Amazon. You know, it was just, it was only books. You know, the idea that they would send you like an exercise bike that weighs 200 <laughs> pounds, you know, but you can, you can get them about anything through them. And that's, that was a crazy idea back in the day. Yeah. No, I think, especially with the public schools, just thinking about all the stuff that those teachers have to fit into one day, now that they've got the shooting drills and before that, just all the the federal, you know, all and, the and standards. State, yeah. st- standards yep. and just and just the other implications they had to deal with around, you know, s- not having treats for birthdays or if you did all the hoops you had to jump through just for that and the paperwork and the signing of uh, the parental everything yeah. you know just all the stuff that's on their shoulders now I, I just feel like that's made the schools almost just this unbearable weight yeah, to, well, to keep going you know yeah schools have taken on so much of the social yeah, yeah. The, you know they they you know, you, you might be where you get a free breakfast or a free lunch or you okay. get your eyes checked or you have a health exam or you have um, after school care and just lots of things that are sort of extra to what yeah. the experience of going to school. Yeah. And then what does the teacher have to do in terms of managing anxiety or managing a shooter drill or right. these different things? And you do wonder, like, there's a, there are so many other efficiencies that could be built into a different model of doing it. I would we would lose something for sure. But I kind of feel like it's going to be a little bit like um, family, or not family reunions, but class reunions. So class reunions today, and maybe even family reunions to, to some, now that I, I misspoke, but now I'm thinking on it, maybe this is it too. But, you know, one I remember reading an article years ago, did Facebook kill the, the class reunion? You know, because class reunions were when you got together and said, it's been 10 years since I saw you, literally 10 years. Like, I haven't seen a picture of you, nothing. And now... You know, it's like, oh, I can't, you're, I, I can't, can't get away from that person exactly. now. <laughs> what are you doing on Facebook? And so this idea that, that why would you go to your reunion? Because you see all those people virtually now. And it, yeah. it, it kind of, it eliminates the curiosity. Like after 20 years, you know, please tell me that awful person I went to high school with just really went downhill. Nothing will bring <laughs> me more schadenfreude than that, you know. And that's changed. And people are like, eh. Class reunions. I think the people that graduate from high school today, they're like, class reunions, like, what was that? In the same way that we might, you know, wonder about a telephone booth. And so I wonder, too, in the future, will we think about kids all coming together for a sad amount of time each day? Will we think of that kind of like the class reunion? Like, oh, well, it was a period of time where that's what we did, but we don't do it anymore. So this is totally an aside, but I made a phone call. I got a call from an antique store. uh, the other day because I was wondering about uh, the price of a new product they had just put out. And they called me back and they left a message. And then I went to call, they said, call us. So I went to call them and I got a busy signal. And it. I grew up using regular phones. I didn't know what it was for a minute. I thought maybe like something was broken. <laughs> like I, And it took me a minute to really register. Oh, that's a busy signal because I haven't heard one in so long. I don't know that I've heard a dial tone in a long time because I don't pick up I just always use this, like a cell phone. But even me, like who grew up hearing busy symbols and remembering when call waiting came, you know, back in the day, like in the 80s, you know, when call waiting became popular, it was like, oh, sweet. You know, you were on a phone call and then you got a little beep and you could it, click over. And answering machines. That was a huge answering thing, machines, too. Huge. They were such a big deal. I remember the Rockford Files, watching re- reruns of the Rockford Files and his show always opened up. James Garner's show 
with Jim Rockford, and it always opened up with the answering machine. That was the intro, was the answering machine making the, you know, I'm not home, leave a message kind of thing. And it was so cool at the time. Now, this is like the mid-70s, and that answering machine probably cost $300, even back then. Um, it was a really cool thing. But, like, and now, of course, we just kind of think that, I means people are like, what's an answering machine? I wonder if they'll ask the same question about, what do you mean go to school? That, that one kind of is weird. And the idea of going to the doctor. We need to go to the doctor. Like, what do you mean you go there? Yeah, especially when you think about, like, body scans, you know, like on Star Trek, right, when they had the zzz yeah. like that. Well, that's the way it should be, right? I mean, you, they yeah. should get all your readings, and they, you shouldn't have this stuff on a scale. And you right. should, they should be able to know your blood, you yeah. know, yeah. readings and all that stuff just from the scan. Yeah, and it's kind of – it's really creepy to think about some of it. But then at the same time, like, my, my oldest son is a type 1 diabetic who has to carry – he wears a insulin pump that goes into a port that gives him insulin. And then he also has something called a CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor. And it tells him his blood sugar just throughout the day. But he has two of these things that he wears all the time. The idea of being able to have an artificial pancreas, it would be revolution. I mean, it'd be incredible for him. And so exciting for him to not have to wear these two things. So on the one hand, while I kind of, um, I don't know, blanch at the idea of something scanning me and knowing everything about me, and it's kind of intrusive at the same time, I think, wow, and a development like that would be amazing. So with all technology, there are compromises. And it's always, always something that you give up to gain something else. And it'll be like that, too. Because I sometimes you just like to go to the doctor and just like, have a laugh and chat for a little bit, you know? <laughs> the idea of seeing that person just through a screen feels so impersonal. But I think there are a lot of people who would really welcome that. And I don't begrudge them that. Have we covered everything you want to talk yeah, about? Yeah, and more. Okay. This was awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. We really appreciate always having you, and uh, we'll be looking forward to your talk next week. Me too. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. Really it's great. enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, I'd love talking with the two of you, and I'm, I'm always happy to be a guest here. It's just the most pleasant experience, so thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thank you. You're listening to UP Tech Talk the podcast from Academic Technology Services and Innovation at the University of Portland, where we explore the use of technology in the classroom, one conversation at a time. We invite you to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music so that you never miss a new episode. To continue the conversation with us on social media, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at TheBenCon, and Maria is at HerbFarm, that's E-R-B-F-A-R-M. For more information, please visit our blog at techtalk.up.edu and browse our archives for dozens of episodes featuring great conversations with our UP faculty guests.